And um, let's get into it. So this is the part of the service where we open the Bible and uh, we get to see how Jesus matters. Let me say, before we get to our actual passage, not only um, does Jesus matter above everything because the Bible teaches that we were made by him. So everyone who exists was made by God and we were made for him. We were made for a relationship with Jesus, with God. And, and the Bible teaches that tragically, uh, we have lost that relationship with God through, through sin, through us wanting to be our own gods, through us you know, wanting nothing to do with God, live our lives as if he doesn't really matter. And so what the Bible teaches is that Jesus really does love us, that Jesus actually did come in human history and he came to bring us back into that lost relationship because we lost it through sin. And so what Jesus has come to do, the Bible teaches the main event, I would say of Christianity is that he went to a cross. He went on the cross and the Bible teaches that when he went to the cross, he was substituting himself for us. That is on the cross, God put our sin, all of those who would trust in Jesus, their sin on Jesus. And just like if you were gonna be, you know, like if you were a criminal before a good judge, what Jesus did on the cross is he took all of what we owe, all of what we would deserve. So all the times we've ever said a lie, all the times we've ever had a, a lustful, hurtful, uh, hateful thought, all the single times we've maybe just not loved our neighbors perfectly, and every time we've lived as if God is no big deal, the Bible says that deserves payment. That deserves, someone has to pay for that. And it's going to be us. But the Bible says that Jesus loves us so much that he came and on the cross, our sin went on him and he paid it in full. There's no more payment after Jesus died and rose again. And that's really the essence of the gospel. And I want to show you really quickly uh, in, your, in your handout here, we'll have the verses that we're going to be looking at today. But look at the first one, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Uh, Paul says it this way, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, so that's the big idea. Jesus has procured salvation. Salvation is not something we try to do by our good works. It's something that we need and it's something that Jesus came and we have it when we have him. So he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. That means you're spiritually alive. You're new. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Come, all this is from God. Okay, it's not what you do that counts, it's what God has done. Who through Christ, you can see the verse there, who reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So that's God's heart. God's heart is that the whole world be in relationship with him. And so that's why Jesus came. And then listen to what he says, not counting their sins against them and entrusting to us, the church, the message of reconciliation. And here's the verse I really want you to see, verse 21, for our sake, he, that's God, made him, that's Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So here's what you gotta understand. 
In Jesus, when you trust and you believe in Jesus, you have a perfect life because you have his life. You have a perfect performance review before the Father. You are completely forgiven, not because of you, but because of Jesus. You have acceptance with God. Your debt is paid. And so the big idea is because of Jesus, we now have a new relationship with God. And it's so exciting. It's the most greatest relationship you can ever have. He's the most loving person in the world and he made you for a relationship with him. And so that's what we're excited about. That's really the essence of what we love to teach called the gospel, that Jesus comes to bring us out of darkness, which is life without him, into light, which is life with him. And so that's our hope. I just want to start before we even get to the passage to tell you that Jesus, he loves you. He really did come and he really did die and he really did rise again. And here's the big idea today, okay? We're, in, we're studying uh, the gospel of Matthew as a church. The big idea is Jesus is coming back, that he is going to return, okay? Being a new creation is very exciting, it's amazing to know God. It's amazing to have your sins forgiven, a relationship with God. But the Bible teaches that on this side of heaven, we're going to have a lot of trials and troubles. And in fact, today in our passage, we're going to study in front of you. Jesus is going to tell his disciples what's coming for them. It's going to be very difficult, very hard. He's going to talk about an event that was predicted in the book of Daniel, sent Daniel centuries ago. And it's going to happen to them in AD 70. But he's also going to say it's going to be like this for human history until the final day when he comes back. And so before we get to Matthew 24, I just want to tell you, this is, this is going to happen. Jesus will return. Now, I'm sure some of you are like, what? This, the return of Jesus? This is so, I knew these Christians were crazy. I knew they were crazy, but he looks normal because he's got tight jeans on. And this is, I would think the same thing, okay? A loud preacher's like, Jesus is gonna return. You're like, ah, grab the kids and the bouncy castle. But let me just tell you this really, really quick. This is so important and key to understanding what Christians believe. And if you're a Christian, which many of you are, welcome Shore Church. The New Testament, just so you know, speaks of the return of Jesus over 300 times. That's one out of 13 verses. The return of Jesus, his coming again, is so crucial. It's so important. I would even say you can't live out the Christian life in all of its fullness, in all of its truest sense, without believing the return of Jesus. But not only that, having it change the way you live everyday life. And so this is what Jesus wants to do. He wants to prepare his disciples for this hardship, for this tribulation. He wants to prepare us. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Okay, just so you know, we're going to try to teach through the most difficult passage in all the Gospels in 51 verses, in 20 minutes outside. So that's my, that's my hope. I'm gonna pray for me and for all of us, but I really wanna encourage you, as I'm reading the verses, they're there in front of you. So if you don't have one of those handouts, put up your hand, the ushers can come bring you one. We're gonna be going through a whole chapter. This is what we do, by the way, we like to teach through books of the Bible. I came back from vacation, I was like, oh, I wonder what I'm teaching outside. Oh, the end of the world, this will be really fun. Okay. Let me pray, but it's really exciting. It's really gonna happen, and you really need to know about this, okay? Jesus, I really need your help. I pray that as we study this chapter together in like beach weather, I pray we'd enjoy your son. 
But I also pray that you would help us just get a real sense of your, your true son. And I just, I thank you so much, Jesus, that you're real. I thank you that you love every single one of us. That your word says in John three, that for God so loved the world, that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. And the next verse, Jesus, that you wrote said, you did not come to condemn the world, but to save. And so we thank you for you. I just pray as we gather this morning, you would help us listen. You would give us hearts that are hungry to actually meet with you if you are and you exist. And I pray for those who are not Christians, who, who, are, who are rightly looking at this and hearing me go, I don't know, I'm gonna see if this is true. I pray that you would show them truth, that you'd help them see through history, through the scriptures, that this really did happen. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help me teach. And I just pray for a great morning in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so right in front of you, um, you have the passage. Let me tell you what's gonna happen. In these verses, there's 51. The first 27 verses are going to be Jesus speaking into the disciples' life of what's going to happen in their generation that they need to be ready for. There's gonna be great tribulation coming for the 12 disciples and the church, and it's gonna happen, and it does happen. I'm gonna show you in history how it happens. The next part of these verses is God saying, this is how it's going to be in every human cycle and generation until the final day when I come. So he's saying, what's gonna happen to you is gonna be a type of what's gonna happen in each generation until the final day when Jesus returns. So we're gonna learn what happened to them, what we should expect, but also what's gonna, what is it gonna look like when Jesus comes back? He actually tells us. So that's where we're going. Now, if you're a great, if, you don't, if, you, if you're a student today and you were handed one of these, cause you get a prize. So if you're, you know, you're in grade school and you wanna follow along, I'm about to tell you the three points, okay? So get your pens out. Great, you know, here comes the point. So here's the three points we're gonna look at today. Number one, as you follow Jesus, be prepared for trouble and hardship. As you follow Jesus, be prepared for trouble and hardship. Second, be prepared and excited for Jesus' return. And then number three, as you follow Jesus, be marked by showing and sharing his love. So that's where we're going. So here's the setting. It's printed for you in your handout. You can go take a look. Verse one, Jesus left the temple. So he's been in the temple teaching. He's literally hours before his crucifixion. And here's what we read. As he was going away, when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, that there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Okay, I love that. The disciples are like, look how beautiful the temple is. They're leaving. They're like, look at the limestone, the way the gold is just shimmering in the sun. Jesus is like, it's all coming down. It's all gonna come down. He would make the worst tour guide. It would be so depressing to be on his group. He's like, it's all going to come down. There's gonna be a fall of Jerusalem and then he leaves it there, <laughs> okay? Few verses, like next verse, I don't know how long the time went, but look at verse three. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when. So this is the big question. They wanna know when. When will these things, to the, when will the fall of Jerusalem and this temple destruction, when will that happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Okay, now, follow me. In their minds, 
most scholars and, and, and commentators believe they, the disciples, are thinking the end is going to happen in Jesus' day. So they're wondering when this happens, when's the end coming, and how is it all going to happen? But like I said earlier, Jesus will answer them and then say this is going to be a type, and then he's going to answer when the final day will be. Okay, so that's where we're going. Here's the first point. As you follow Jesus, be prepared for troubles and hardships. We just need to know this. If you're a Christian in here, well, if you're a human being here, it's gonna get hard. Here's what he says. Here's the beginning of his answer. Verse four, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will lead many astray and you will hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not alarmed for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are but the beginning of birth pains. So the first thing he says, he expect people to be deceiving, expect people to say they're from God. I am, I am from Jesus. I'm a spokesperson. I actually am Jesus. Um, promoting a version of Jesus that's not found in the Bible. He says, expects false teachers. That's going to happen in your day. It's going to happen in our day. In verse 23 to 26, he says, don't believe it, even if they're performing like miracles and signs. And if they're like, hey, go in the wilderness, he's there. Jesus says, don't believe them. They're going to point to themselves of how you can have comfort and happiness. They're not going to point to me. In fact, Josephus, so he's the earliest historian that we have. He wrote and lived in the time right after Jesus' resurrection. He actually records of many false teachers who came. Here's one guy named Simon Magus, Theodos, others. They claimed divine inspiration and empowerment. And they were trying to get this huge agenda against Rome. And so they did that. In regards to earthquakes, in 80, before AD 70, the historian Tactus documented three major earthquakes in Antioch, Phygeria, Laodicea, a huge famine came across uh, Rome during the reign of Claudius in AD 50. So this all happened, just as Jesus said, and he's telling them, you're not exempt from tribulation, you're not exempt from hardship, on this side of heaven we're to expect it. Okay, by the way, I'm gonna take some water because I feel like I'm just yelling. Sorry, I'm just yelling the whole time. I'm trying to reach Will back there. Okay. Uh, if this is a type, in other words, if this is a sign of the nearing end and increasing, I just want to let you guys know a few things. I, I did a lot of study this week. Uh, in the last year, scientists have measured at least one major earthquake above the 7.0 on the Richter scale, one per month. They're saying that this is the most unusual time in, in history as the energy around the earth has increased. Nothing like this has happened since the 1960s and not for this long. We've seen great earthquakes from Japan to Indonesia to Chile. On wars, we know this, there's not been a bloodier century on planet earth than the last one that claimed over 123 million people's lives in both world wars and the ongoing wars around them. Today, <clears throat> there are four huge wars happening. Right now in the Syrian civil war, which began in 2014, there's a death toll of upwards to 470,000 people and rising. In Yemen, there's a civil war claiming 10,000 deaths. 
We have Boko Haram, which has displaced 2.1 million people and has led to thousands and thousands, 470 of deaths by him. When you go onto the UN's website and you look up how many conflicts are happening right now where deaths are happening, there's over 62 and increasing recorded current controversies and trials. Right now, 13 million people in Ethiopia, Kenya, and Somalia are facing a famine like has never been in the history of the world without food or shortages in terms of numbers. Quote, in urgent need of emergent assistance. In Yemen, an estimated 17 million people, that's 60% of that population, are suffering from food insecurity and malnutrition, including 8 million on the brink of famine. Quote, this is the largest hunger emergency in the world. That's happening as we sit out here in the sun. These are birth pains. It is increasing. It is coming nearer. He continues, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and they will put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. He says, look, it's going to be hard for everyone, but it's going to be especially hard if you're a Christian. It'll be hard for Christians for being Christians. Millions died in the siege by Rome in AD 70. Most were Christians. Just so you know, in the gladiator, the Christians were the bait for the lions. Nero had hundreds and hundreds of Christians crucified to light up his road to go to his party where the Christians were the burning lampposts in his party in AD 70. All of the disciples but one were killed and martyred. They all died. This all happened. Everything Jesus said was going to happen, it happened. And it was brutal. Just so you know, today, there are dozens of countries where it's illegal to be a Christian where if discovered, if you, if you are discovered on the spot, you can be enslaved, imprisoned, or killed. The top five places today are North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan. In Afghanistan alone, from January of 2000, no, from September to January of 2018, 2,798 Christians were killed for having a Bible, or converting from Islam to Christianity, or declaring Jesus is Lord. Christians are the most hated, the most hunted, and the most killed religious people group on planet earth. That's what he says. Verse 10, and many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And this is a very sad verse. Look at verse 12. <clears throat> and, because, and because of lawlessness, lawlessness is doing what is evil and calling it good. Because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Because of sin, people's love for God and others will be cold. But then he says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Okay, that's exciting. Now here's where it gets weird. You're like, that wasn't weird? It gets weirder. <clears throat> okay, look at verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, the next verse says, flee. Luke says, same, same recording on the same event, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, know that the desolation has come near. So what's happening? Well, 
In Daniel, there is a prophecy of this beast that will come and it'll be a foreign ruler who will come into the temple and profane it. Jesus is saying that's gonna happen in your day, which happened in AD 70, Rome plundered Jerusalem. They, the Titus stood in the temple, decimated it, sacrificed idols to it. It took four years. What they did is they surrounded the city. They didn't let anything come in because there was such a backlash. They completely starved everyone till um, Josephus records that, that parents were reducing themselves to cannibalism because there was nothing there. They starved them for three years until they were all almost dead. And then they came in and slaughtered everyone. That happened in AD 70 in the fall of Jerusalem. And so Jesus says, when you see them coming, he gives the same advice Claire gives to her nephews when the T-Rexes are chasing them. And what's that? Run, run. He's like, run. Look at verse 16. And then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountaintops. Let the one who's on the housetop not go to take what is in his house. Let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. This is literal advice. When you see that, don't go back home. Just go. And alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Again, this happened. Jesus says in verse 32, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as the branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know summer's near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So he's like, know this. When you see the leaves and you know it's summer, you know what's gonna happen. What's the big idea? As you follow Jesus, be prepared for troubles and hardship. Some of us just need to hear this. We weren't promised Disneyland. Yet, on this side of heaven, it's going to be hard. But here's what Jesus wants to say. He wants to say the second point. All of this, all of these signs are actually glimpses and glimmers of something that's coming that is your greatest hope. That all these signs mean that Jesus' return is so close. When these things happen, Jesus is coming back. It was really hilarious. Um, we were driving home. We, well, my wife and I and daughter went to Costco. And uh, we were driving home. And I was like, Nora, I guess what I'm teaching on? Earthquakes. Because she always, always wants to know when the Vancouver one's coming. And I'm like, I don't know. But I said, when it comes, we'll know Jesus is coming back sooner. She's like, really? That's awesome. I'm like, really? That's awesome? I'm terrified, but she's really excited. Okay, that's the point. Be excited for Jesus' return. There's hope coming. This is what he wants them to know. Victory always comes through judgment, triumph. So what will this look like? Right? This is, this is, this is the more weird part. When will the final time that Jesus comes back, when he arrives, what will it feel like? What will it be like? Jesus says it. Look at verse 27 in your scripture. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. He says it'll be impossible to miss. 
It will be like a sheet of lightning from one side of the sky to the other. It'll be so fast. It'll be obviously unmistakable. And look at verse 28, as the gathering of vultures to a carcass. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever been down the road in like, you know, some desert area and you see all these birds circling and you're like, there's gotta be a carcass over there. It'll be that obvious. And here's what I want us to see. Real history is going somewhere. It's not meaningless. Your life is not random. Wrongs will be made right. Jesus is saying there will be a real end as there was a real beginning. You need to know this if you're a Christian and if you're not a Christian, the highest hope of the Christian is not to escape the world or this bodily life. The highest hope is to enjoy a renewed world in renewed bodies with Jesus. The idea of Jesus' resurrection, he was bodily. What we're excited for is when he comes back, we're gonna get bodies on this new creation and new earth. That's the hope. The hope is that there's gonna be one day, a grand day where it's all gonna be just good, beauty, love. Love will triumph over evil. God's good justice will reign. The day, this will be a day that there'll be no more tears. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more sickness or evil. Things will be as they ought to be. You know the big prayer we pray that you probably grew up listening to or, or praying? Um, Our Father in heaven, how would be our name? Your kingdom come. That'll be that day. So let me say this. In his book, actually I'll give you a quote. In his book, Engaging God's World, Neil Plantinga says this, the second coming of Jesus is good news for people whose lives are filled with bad news. He says, if you're a slave in Pharaoh's Egypt or in the Southern United States in the early 19th century, if you are an Israelite exiled in Babylon or in Kosovar, exiled in Albania, if you are a woman living in a culture when your husband gets mad at you, he can lock you up in a closet or call up his buddies and threaten to have them rape you. Or if you're a Christian in sub-Saharan Africa today where AIDS has devastated the whole populations, he says, then you don't yawn when somebody mentions the return of Jesus Christ. You know who's not yawning at the return of Jesus Christ? All the Christians in Somalia. The person who wants justice and redemption wants the kingdom of God and the coming of the kingdom depends on the coming of the king. He says this, the one who will return with power and great glory and judgment. I was talking to a mom this week who might be here today. If you're here, Mina, glad you're here. She came last week. She found out her, bottle, it, her body is spreading with cancer. She's in the middle of chemo. And when I was talking to her on the phone and praying for her, she said, you don't realize how fragile life is until this happens. And it's only then you see that Jesus is everything you need. She longs for his return. She longs for the day that while the chemo is pumping through her body, there'll be a moment like lightning will be totally brand new. Sure, church, I wanna say this if this is your church. If our own life is too comfortable to want the second coming of Jesus, we must look across the world to lives that are not. If you're not grieved at your own sin, if you don't hate it and go, oh, I just want this out of me. I hate how nagging it is and I hate how the influences me. And all we have going on in our mind is our own comfort, our own vacations, our own weekend plans, and our own, those are not bad. But if that's all we have going on in our mind, if that's all we just jam our life with, with activities, we're living in a bubble that's not even true to the rest of the world. 
The rest of the world wants Jesus to come back, wants wrong to be made right, wants justice. Every human being would want that. And so if I can say this in love, we need to feel the truth that Jesus' return will happen, which is exciting. But for those who are not clinging to Jesus, who don't have him, it will be horrific. It will be full of mourning. It will be instant. It will be decisive, meaning you will have no more chance to repent. There will be no more opportunity to change. You won't be able to trust him then. Listen to how Jesus says this. I'm just the mailman. Verse 36, look at it. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only. And listen to what he says. For as were the days of Noah, we've all heard of Noah's ark. He builds a boat. Everyone's like, you're weird. You're building a boat. It's like a desert here. It's not gonna rain. Jesus says it's coming. You guys gotta repent. He's an idiot. So will be the coming of the son of man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving into marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the son of man. He says people will be doing ordinary life. They'll be getting married. They'll be going out to Earl's. It'll be one of just a normal day when he comes back. They won't notice the giant storm clouds are coming in. And then listen to what he says in verse 40. Then two men will be in a field. This is, what he's, this is what it'll be like. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. They'll be at work. One will be taken, one left. Just so you know, like in Noah's flood, being taken away is bad. If you're taken away, you're swept away by the waves of judgment. To be taken away in this passage is the same. Those who stay get to stay with Jesus when he returns on this new earth. Those who go away will go away into eternal judgment. Then he says this, verse 42, therefore stay awake. This is what he would say to us, every single one of us who just took the breath of life there. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming, but know this. That if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, this is verse 43, he would have stayed awake and would have not have left his house to be broken into. Verse 44, therefore you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. He's like, just like the thief comes in and the master wasn't ready, that's what's gonna happen. So here's what I wanna ask us, everyone here, are you prepared? Not like earthquake kit prepared. I mean like, do you know Jesus? Is your life marked by Jesus? Or is your life marked more by this world? Is your time, is your perspective, is how you live? Is, is this life like a layover? Are you just here for that season because you know Jesus' return is coming? Has this impacted you? If you asked me a week ago, I would say no. But it needs to. Being ready, let me just tell you what it is. Being ready is simply making your life about Jesus. Being ready for Jesus coming is making your life and all of your life about worshiping Jesus, loving Jesus, showing and sharing Jesus. This is our third point. So kids, third point, if you're taking notes. As you follow Jesus, be marked by showing and sharing his love. Showing and sharing, those are the blanks. Here's the question, will Jesus find you devoted or divided? 
Will he find you focused on his purposes or be freaking out over like nothing? Will he find you prepared, anticipating him, wanting him, or ignoring him? Being prepared, Jesus just tells us what it is. Look at verse 45 in your handout. Being prepared is like a faithful and wise servant whom the master has set over his head. We're almost done, by the way. If you're like, I'm really hot. We're almost done. Being prepared is like a faithful and wise servant whom his master set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Then look at verse 47 and on. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him away with hypocrites. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Lots in there. But here's what I want you to see as we close there's one servant who thinks little of God's presence. Worse, this servant, and this is so clear, doesn't think it's better with the master. His heart's not waiting with joy because he loves when the master's there. No, instead he thinks he's delayed, he's not coming, I wanna live how I want, I'm gonna be my own master. Let me ask you this, who is the real you? When no one is looking, I'm speaking primarily to Christians right now, when no one's looking, are you all about you or are you all about Jesus? Are you spiritually sleepy? I wanna challenge you today to think if this happened tonight, would, would you be ready? I mean like seriously, are there things in your life that you still need to confess? Are there things in your life that you still need to repent of? Activities that, they're not sinful, but you love them too much. They consume way too much of your heart and your time. You're holding on to, you're toying with. What are you doing today that would cause you to be ashamed if Jesus came? What are, your, what are you placing priority on that is keeping you from becoming love, from becoming his love. The goal is not to be like this perfect performance person who does always good works, but are you loving God and loving others? Is that what you're known for? Or are you known by, I mean, he's like the most loving neighbor on my block. He's always t telling me, he's praying for me. It's kind of weird, but he's so loving. And then he, are you known for, you're showing and you're sharing Jesus. Are you ready? Is, are you excited? Are you excited to see his face? God's purpose for us is to glorify him. The verse we read earlier that we, were, we would be ministers of reconciliation, that we would be transparent about what Jesus means to us. Okay, let me ask you, how's it going? If you ask me, not good. Just so you know, my heart, my eyes, they're so horizontal. It is so hard to live on the North Shore. It is so hard to live in this beautiful creation and just think about you the whole time. It's harder for us than Christians in Somalia to be excited about the return of Jesus. It's tough. Jesus said it's harder for the rich man to enter the kingdom than for anyone. It's hard for you. You gotta know that, but you gotta fight through that. Okay, just let me, I'll close with this analogy. So my kids, um, 
This summer, my wife, she's incredible. She, she introduced a chore chart. So it's like, there's like 30, 30 chores. They have to pick nine before they can get any screen time or any iPad time. And so I'm, I'm beginning to love it because uh, early on in the, when we started the chore thing is, is the kids would be so excited to show dad what chores they did. Okay, because they, they know dad likes a clean, clean house. And so I, I remember early on, we'd, I'd come home and they'd be like, dad, look at all the chores I did. Like I did this, I cleaned that, I did that. They were anticipating, they were excited to see dad's face when dad came home at what they got to do. And it was really cool for me to see their joy in being ready for dad. Is that you? Are you excited to be like, dad, look at what I did, or dad, look at what I'm doing, okay? They're here, but just so you know, their rooms are not that clean when I come home. They're like, look, I cleaned my room. Mm, That's okay, I love you, right? The baking chore, all the dishes are all over the sink, but I baked a cake. We don't eat it though, because we put apple cider vinegar instead. Um, But I'm not thinking, It's not good enough. No, I'm just so happy. I'm so, I love my kids. Are you excited for dad to come back? Do you love Jesus? Are you excited about him? Do you want him more than anything? Are you excited to see your dad? Are you excited to show him what you got to do? Because it's all grace. Let me say this, don't waste your life. And if you're not a Christian, I just wanna plead with you, Jesus came not to condemn you. He's not here. Christians should not be around you so that you feel condemned. The Bible says we've already done that ourselves. Our sin has condemned us. Jesus doesn't come down and be like, I'm just gonna throw something that's not already on us. He came to save us from condemnation. So I wanna plead with you, if you don't accept Jesus, you don't know if you don't have tomorrow. Don't wait. He might, he might come back this afternoon. He might come out, he might come back as you pull out of that park or Park Royal or that grocery store. At least pursue him, consider him. We have Bibles, we'd love to give you really nice ones. We have some books over there, I'll just give them to you. If you wanna know more about the gospel, just take them, take them. Gee. Band, you guys can come on up. Let me close by asking us a few more questions. Are you marked by showing and sharing Jesus? Are you prepared for trouble? This is so gracious on Jesus to tell them this. Are you excited for his return? Like maybe, maybe this week, just be like, I'm really excited. Oh, please come back. Then all of this will be made new. I'll get a new heart, new life. Justice will be served. Read the news and pray and cry out for come Lord Jesus. You know what the last words in this Bible are? Come Lord Jesus. You know what the last thing Jesus tells his disciples are? While he's ascending into heaven. Why are you looking at him going up? He's gonna be coming back the same way you saw him ascend. Jesus is coming back and Jesus wants to whisper to us the same thing he whispers today. And I think this is for someone here because you are going through a really hard time in your life and you don't know what's happening and it feels like a, a, just a hurricane. Jesus says to them before it all happens, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. 
It's the most repeated sentence, the most shortest sentence when the storm is hitting people and the disciples' lives. He says, do not be afraid. Be faithful, be excited, give yourself to loving others, show them Jesus, share with them the good news. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much that you really did send your son, that our faith is really in a living God who has procured for us salvation. We have nothing to boast and there's no Christian in here that has anything of any of their own righteousness that will get them to heaven. It's all because of Jesus. So we praise you for Jesus. And we know that Jesus, when you come again, you will come and the last time and you will make us new like you and you will right every wrong and you will make things the way that we know they should be. No more pain, no more suffering, life on earth. And I pray God that until then we would be prepared. Like you told your disciples, Jesus, that we would be ready, that we would die well, that we would yearn for your return. And so we wanna pray, come Lord Jesus. And we thank you, Father, that your love is so deep. And I pray, God, if there's anyone here who's not believing the love of God for them, they don't believe that you love them, that you would just break that right now in Jesus' name. And I pray as we sing how deep the Father's love, as we close our time and we hang out with one another, you'd lead us into a time of prayer, communion. So just thank you that we get to be here. Thank you for those who listen to me and maybe don't believe. They didn't have to do that. So just thank you and pray this in Jesus' name, amen.